how, how a father is to care for his own family and to others as well. Um, so let's read this. In fact, it's really interesting when you look at Paul in this passage. In verse 7, which we didn't read this morning, I believe it is that he refers to his, his work and how he cared for them as like a mother. But it's, it's so good to see how Paul had that tender uh, family feeling and affection for those he was teaching. But let's go ahead and read. Uh, I'll start again. First Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12. Having so fond an affection for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God calls us into his own kingdom and glory. Um, you see in verse 8 that Paul says that he loved them so much that he gave, that he taught, that he not only taught the gospel uh, to the, the Thessalonian church, but he gave them his own life as well. And that reminded me that we as fathers not only teach our children, but we actually devote our lives or give our lives willingly to our wives and our children. And not that we literally die. Um, we might have to do that, but we don't literally die, but we, we sacrifice for our families so they can have what they need. And in doing this, we are loving families and our wives like Christ loved the church. And that's what he asked us to do. If you read over in Ephesians chapter 5, it, it talks about, 20, in verse 28 uh, through 30, it says, So husbands ought, to also, ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his own body. So it makes no sense for uh, a husband to make fun of his wife, to be mean or cruel to his wife, and really the first responsibility of any husband and father is to love his wife and to take care of the mother of his children. That's really vital to be a father. So we need to make sure that we are loving our wives and cherishing our wives. In verse 9, Paul reminds the Thessalonians that he has worked hard. Uh, in his case, he was working hard so as not to be a burden to them. He actually worked, Paul was a tent maker, and he worked at a living so that the church didn't have to support him. He wanted to be able to really give himself to them and not be a burden. But as fathers, of course, we are to work to take care of the needs of our family and make sure our children have the things that they need. Then look at verse uh, 10. 
he talks about that we, in following his example, he talks about being devout, upright, and blameless. So what does it mean to be devout? Devout is really the idea of piety or reverence toward God. We need to have that. Um, if we're devout, we're going to be serious about God and respecting God and really revering him and be deeply committed to God. And that's what Paul was as he worked with them, and that's what we need to be as fathers. We need to be devout toward God. And we need to take his word seriously. Um, we need to seek to know the word and to obey it so we can honor God. Um, again, we need to take God and his word seriously and be reverent toward him and really put forth that effort to know his word. Next, Paul talks about being upright. Our behavior should also be upright. That means it's right. What we do and how we behave is right. Our children shouldn't see us um, be doing things that are wrong. Um, and Mickey alluded that to in a recent sermon, that, that we should not be leading our children to do wrong. We need to be upright. They need to be able to see us doing right. Um, and we need to be modeling what is right to our children if we're going to be a father to them. Um, and what that requires, at least one of the things it requires, is self-control and self-discipline. We cannot, um, sometimes you see a parent or you observe a parent that's trying to correct their child, but they themselves are out of control. They are not disciplined themselves. So we as fathers have to make sure that we're in control of ourselves so we can be upright and properly guide our children and help them to um, really know how to behave because they can see it in us. So our correction will really mean something. So we have to be self-controlled and self-disciplined. And like Paul, we are to be blameless. There should be nothing in our lives that uh, someone could grab onto or use as a point or a basis for accusing us or holding something against us. We need to seek to try to be blameless as we work with our families and our children and to lead them. And again, of course, we need to be blameless toward our families and how we behave. Now, in verse 11, Paul goes on and he talks about how he was exhorting and encouraging and imploring the Thessalonians to walk in a manner worthy of God, who called them into his own kingdom and glory. And he says, that's where he mentions, just as a father would, would his own children. Now, what do we encourage our, our children to do? What do we plead with our children about? Do our homework? We plead for that? doing homework. Um, we want them to study hard for those tests that are coming up. We plead with them to do that. We encourage them. Um, what about sports? Do we encourage them and plead with them and drive them to be the best in sports and to practice their sport? Or if they're in, into music or instruments, do we do that? We probably do. We probably spend a lot of time, and uh, we all do that. We want our children to do well. But do we put a higher priority on those things than on godliness? 
than pursuing God? Do we truly um, make it a priority to encourage our children toward godliness and toward uh, encouraging them in a way to live that will please their Heavenly Father? So we need to make sure that we're not being kind of lopsided in that. We need to make that devotion to God or that encouragement toward God the top priority. Um, not just um, worldly success. And we do, we spend a lot of time and money oftentimes preparing our children for worldly success so they can make a bunch of money or have prestige. Um, but do we spend as much effort, are we as serious about encouraging them toward godly success uh, which will carry them eternally? We need to make sure that we're doing that and that we are really uh, have our own priorities straight and that we are encouraging them not just to do well in the world, but to even more importantly, do well in their relationship with God and before God. Now we're going to talk about, I just want us to focus on a few biblical examples um, about Abraham, Moses, Job, and King David. Now, I think Abraham is a really good uh, person for us to consider. Abraham is, con is, is called, often called, what, the father of the faithful, if you heard that. He is, um, in Romans it says, For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of faith of Abraham was the father of us all. And one of the things that uh, the Bible presents is that, of course, Abraham, from him, the Jews descended, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jews descended, and so by the flesh, uh, they're the children of Abraham, but we, by faith, are the children of Abraham as well. And he's a good example of what we should be as fathers uh, as we work with our children. First of all, Abraham obeyed God. When he had gone to uh, the land, um, and if, kind of reiterating, if we're going to be godly fathers, we also need to be men who obey God. When God told Abraham to leave the land where he had settled, a land called Haran, he had settled there with his father, and God told him to leave. And he left that land even though he didn't know where he was going. When Abraham left that land of Haran, he took with him his nephew, Lot. And over the course of time, and a lot of things happened, but over the course of time, uh, Abraham and Lot gathered a lot of possessions and herdsmen and cattle and animals. And so the time came when Abraham said, it's, we can't work in the same land anymore. We need to separate. Um, so he said to Lot, let us separate and let us go our separate ways so we can each have adequate land uh, to, to support our people and our animals. And what Abraham does is he says to Lot, you choose first. He says, you choose where you want to go. If you choose this land, I'll go over here. If you choose over here, I'll go to this land over here. So he was allowing um, Abraham allowing Lot to choose where he wanted to go. And 
what Lot did is he looked at the land, he looked it over, and what did he do? He chose what looked the best, right? This looks the best to me, so I'm going to go for it. And that's what he did. Ultimately, Lot ended up choosing land that was where? Do you remember? It was near Sodom. And it was hard for, for Lot to really live righteously there. He struggled with that. But he was thinking about himself. It was ultimately a disastrous choice for Lot. But Abraham, I think, is a good example for, uh, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't grasping. He wasn't selfishly focused on himself. He wasn't afraid he was going to miss out by letting Lot choose first. Because Abraham trusted God. He allowed God to take care of him, and he knew God would take care of him. Um, and I think that we need to be like that as well. We need to not be fearful. We need not to fear that we're going to lose out somehow uh, by serving God. Uh, but know that God is going to be taking care of us. And that's going to free us to be generous. It's going to free us to be kind. It's going to free us to be merciful because we don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to protect ourselves because God is doing that. Another great thing about Abraham is that he believed God. He obeyed God and he believed God. When God made a promise, he believed it. And we need to be like that as well. And God has made many promises to us. As Christians and as fathers, leaders of our family, we need to believe what God has promised. Let me read from Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 5, just 5 and 6. And he took him outside, meaning God took Abraham outside and said, Now look toward the heavens. Count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he, then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham had no children at this point. And God told him he would have all these descendants like the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed him. And it said, God reckoned that or credited it to him as righteousness. Now, that's something important that Paul talks about other places, but he says that that was 430 years before the law of Moses was given. So that should help us to realize why Abraham is the father of the faithful and why God's intention was always that his people would be saved on the basis of faith, of their faith and trust in God. And it was never intended to be on the basis of maintaining and keeping the law. Uh, the law came hundreds of years later. But Abraham was a man of faith. And uh, we, as men, have to be men of faith, like Abraham, to believe in the promise that, has, that God has given and allow God to bless us uh, in those promises. Even when we can't see... Um, how it's going to happen. We have to continue to believe in God and be strong men of faith like Abraham did. He went, he didn't even know where he was going. Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter on the heroes of faith, it says of Abraham, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, by, call, by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, 
dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promises. For he was looking, for he was looking for a city which has foundations, who arch, whose architect and builder is God. Okay? He was not looking at on earth. He was looking for something that was beyond what he could see on earth. So fathers, we need to be like Abraham and see beyond our circumstances. There are a lot of things for us to enjoy and strive for, but we must, must not get focused on things. We must not lose our focus and just focus on things that are on earth. We have to make a living. We don't have to be consumed by the things that are of this world. We don't have to run after what other people run after. We don't have to pursue everything that someone else pursues. We need to keep our focus on things above where Christ is. The Bible says in Colossians 3 that, that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ is revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory. So that's not just to, um, that promises not just to us, but to all the faithful followers of Jesus. Um, but men, um, we need to be encouraging and urging our families and other people, everyone really, to focus on things above. We don't need to be distracted. So let us be like Abraham, uh, focus on that city, and uh, on the city whose architect and builder is God, not just what we see around us. Now let's look at Moses for a few minutes. Moses came along hundreds of years after Abraham, and Moses is really considered the father of the nation of Israel. When, when, when they went into Egypt, there was like 70 people going into that family, in, in that family going into Egypt. But when they came out, when Moses led them out of Egypt, there was millions of people, uh, children of Israel. And he was the leader. And under, under Moses, God formed them into a nation under his leadership. And Moses didn't even want the job. Um, but he did it. And it, the Bible says he did it faithfully uh, for God. And he served God until he died. Uh, and one of the great things about Moses uh, that I wanted to emphasize here is the way he interceded on behalf of his people. And we as fathers should do that as well, that we intercede toward God on behalf of our children and families and other people as well. You know, early in Exodus 32, the people come out, uh, Moses goes up on the mountain, and what do they do? What do they make? They make an idol. They make the golden calf. And they're up there partying, uh, down there partying, Moses is up on the mountain with God, and... God tells them what has happened. And God, early in chapter 32 of Exodus, he tells them, I'm going to destroy these people, and I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses pleads with God not to, to, to forgive them, not destroy the people. But later on in the chapter, there's something that even is, is more of that, but Moses goes down, he punishes the people, and he goes back up. And this is what it says, Exodus 32 verses 30 through 35. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but now, if you will, forgive their sin, 
And if not, please blot me out of your book which you have written. Then the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you, and nevertheless, in the land when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. But did you notice there what, what Moses said? He said, But now, if you will, forgive them their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book. It's, it's really hard to understand exactly what he's saying, but he's basically saying, forgive them, or maybe just take me instead. Let me die. Let me be taken out of your book. Let me not be, uh, let, me, let me not get this blessing. It's like Moses has identified with these people so much that he is willing to just lose his salvation for them. And I think that, you know, we need to be uh, very committed to our families, and Moses just gives us an almost unbelievable example of, of that devotion and that willingness. And these people were not, they were not easy to lead, were they? If you remember, they were trouble. They, they gave Moses trouble the whole way. And yet, he loves them so much that he's willing to just give up everything for them. And I just think that that should inspire us as fathers to be, to be better, um, as men in the church to be better, uh, to be uh, more devoted than when we see examples like this of what Moses was willing to do. But God says, no, you know, you're going to lead these people, and I'll, I'll punish, I'll decide what the punishment is. He didn't accept Moses' offer, but it's amazing of what, how Moses wanted to intercede for the people, and he did it with his full heart. He's willing to be lost on their behalf, and... He's willing to take responsibility for the sins of these people, which I think is really something. Will we be men who intercede on behalf of our children? Will we be men who intercede on the behalf of our families and the church? Will we do that? Um, you know, the prop, one of the things that you see in our society is that uh, the images of men are, that are presented are really nothing like what we're called to be. The images that we're presented in the world are really nothing like what we are called to be. We often see people who are so successful, so talented, so powerful, but how are they using their power? Oftentimes it's to abuse people, to control people, to demean people that are weaker than they, and they are ultimately destroying themselves. And now, um, we're beginning to see some of that where, where they're getting their payback. But there's so much for years, many hundreds of years, it seems like people have taken the power that they had and used it to abuse and misuse other people. And we as men of God and fathers, we, don't, we, need, to, we need to resist that. That is not the image that uh, we should be modeling or that, that should not be our model. We should reject that. Um, no matter who it is, we need to reject that model of deception, lies, and, and abuse of other people. Now let's take a quick look at Job. Um, I really like that in the first uh, chapter of Job, we see that Job is a good father. It doesn't give us much information, 
but he interceded for his children in prayer also. And this was really during the patriarchal time uh, where the fathers led their families, but he basically said to God, if my children have sinned, please forgive them. I'm going to offer sacrifices on their behalf. And that's what he did. He offered sacrifices on behalf of his children. They were adults at this time when we're presented. And I'm sure he didn't just begin this intercession and this prayer uh, for his children when they were adults, but he probably did that his, their whole life. So we should remember to pray for our children, to pray uh, that they will make the right choices, pray for the protection of God on them, pray for the mercy of God and the blessing of God for our children, just like Job did. And we need to do it throughout their entire lives, even after they become adults. Now, my last example is King David. The only problem is he was not considered by most people to be a good father. He was a bad father. Um, David was a great warrior. He was a great uh, man of God. He loved God, but he was a bad father. I mean, it appears to be he was a pretty terrible father. He was a terrible example when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he had her husband murdered so he could marry her and cover up. Really, he had her murdered so he could cover up his sin. If you remember, David had a son named Amnon. And Amnon, remember what he did? He raped his half-sister. He, so, he had to have her so bad that he ultimately raped her and then he, after he did that, he hated her. Um, and the Bible says that David became very angry when he heard about what Amnon had done, but he didn't do anything. It says, now, Second Samuel 13, verse 21, Now, when David heard about all these matters, he was very angry. But David didn't do anything. He didn't confront his son. He didn't punish his son. He didn't deal with him. What happened then was that Am Absalom is, the rape was of Tamar, who was uh, Amnon's half-sister. Absalom was her full brother, and what did Absalom do? He murdered, he murdered Amnon. He had Amnon killed, because the king, who had the authority and the right to bring justice, didn't do anything. So instead, after two years, uh, Absalom plotted and, by deception, killed Amnon. And David also failed to deal with Absalom. And eventually, Absalom rebelled against David. And ultimately, Absalom was killed in that rebellion. And David didn't take action. Um, and indeed, David really, the Bible says David was cursed because of his initial sin with Bathsheba. Um, if David had been a better man and a better father, he probably could have saved his sons. He could have saved his daughter. Um, and I found an article, I thought the author had a good quote, and it was, he wrote an article pertaining to David, and one of the points he made is this, or one of the key points to made this, and we need to take this to heart as fathers. If you want, 
If you want your family to understand that you don't care about them, then don't do anything. Be passive and indifferent. But if you want your kids to learn right from wrong and consequences to their actions, then you need to be the leader. Lay down the rules and immediately follow up with action when they're broken. That's, that's pretty simple, but that's what David didn't do. Okay? David didn't do that, and it was disastrous for his family. And he really was selfish and sinful that led the start of this whole, whole thing. Um, I, had this, I was thinking about David as being a bad father and actually perhaps a good son uh, in terms of being a son of God, uh, like we want to be. But he did have a heart for God. But we let us as men and as fathers be people who will take action, who will not sit passively by to let our children and our families go whatever they may want to go, but to be leaders and to, to accept responsibility without being afraid. Um, I have more to say, but um, I'm going to stop here. And really, the only th other things I wanted to could allude to is just as wives, are you encouraging your husband, the father of your children, to, to have these qualities of the people that we have uh, talked about? Are you supporting that? Um, and the sacrifice that goes with that? Are you helping your husbands to be that way? And we think about girls and young women, are you seeking to date and know um, and, and, and select men and boys who have these qualities or are trying to develop these qualities? We need to be seeking to do that uh, in the church and encouraging um, us to be fathers for even people who are not our own children um, and really to take care of those who need that help. Like I mentioned, they need the leadership, they need the guidance. Um, and, I, and really, there's no greater um, thing to do. One of the, the, the parts of that verse in Thessalonians was, we have been called out, we've been called into God's kingdom, a kingdom of light out of the darkness. And the service that we render is a great thing for us to be able to do. It's a blessing for us to be able to do it. Um, so we need to embrace it and do it. And I just encourage anyone who, if you're a Christian and you haven't done uh, what needs to be done, certainly we'll pray for you and, and encourage you to do what's right. If you are not a believer or you haven't believed, there's no better life. Um, it may not be always easy, but there's no better life than to offer your life to Jesus, have your sins forgiven, have the hope of eternity. So I just want to encourage you to come and we can help you and pray for you uh, as we stand and sing.